0: This morning, um, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark again. We're going to look at a passage that I I know I've taught on in the past, and actually I think Pastor George has taught on the same text as well. I imagine that's going to happen when you're in the same church for about 30 years, Um, and George has been here even longer than that. Uh, Imagine sometimes we're going to preach on the same things again, or the same things As each other. But we're going to focus our attention this morning on uh, a passage that I find very encouraging. I I think that's probably why the Lord directed my attention to it once again. It's about a a man named Bartimaeus, uh, a blind man that was healed by Jesus, and uh, who, even though he was physically blind, he apparently had spiritual sight uh, granted him by the Holy Spirit. It begins in Mark 10, verse 46, and goes through verse 52. Mark uh, 10, 46 through 52. And I'll read the passage, and then as always, uh, ask for the Lord's blessing upon us and the filling of the Spirit. So beginning in in uh, Mark 10, 46, we read, Now, they came to Jericho, and this of course refers to Jesus and the disciples, because we're told next, as he went out of Jericho, and that's the Lord Jesus, with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Uh, Mark is doing his readers a favor there, Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, his name actually means that, Um, and so he's letting the readers know who he is that way. Uh, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood and commanded him to be called. Rather, it says Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Now I'm assuming when he commanded that he be called and they called him, my assumption would be it's the disciples doing the calling here, although the text doesn't say precisely who it was that was encouraging the man this way, be encouraged because he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And that word Rabboni is an important word. Uh, Rabbi probably wouldn't be an unusual term to be used for Jesus. It means something like master. Could could mean something like great one, but usually it's used for a, a teacher that will... Uh, is referred to as your master. But he says Rabboni, which means my master. So this says something to us about this guy already. He already is in some way um, received Christ as his master. And all he has done is heard about him and heard about his teachings. And already he's received him in a way as the teacher he needs, as the master he needs. It's pretty important that he said that. Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's guidance. Holy Father, we come to you asking for uh, you, each one of us who knows you we we have your spirit dwelling within us and and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and, and with understanding that we might uh, understand uh, what it is that you wish to say to us uh, through this text today that we might rightly understand what you intended when you inspired our departed brother Mark to write this gospel uh, Lord. Uh, Help us to see that and help us to learn and become more like Christ, to love Christ more as our Lord and Savior as a result of our time with him in this passage this morning. For any who do not yet know you, we pray that they will come to faith in Christ, that they will call out to him, my master, acknowledge him as their Messiah, place their faith in him as Bartimaeus did all those years ago, as the rest of us who know you here have done. Uh, We'll give you all the glory for what you do as a result of uh, our time together in your word this morning, because you alone deserve it. We ask all these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before we get into the passage in any more depth, I'd, I'd like to begin by asking you all to pause and um, think for a moment. Try to, try to recall a time in your life when you cried out to God in desperation. Um, and and I, don't, I don't mean just a time when you made some request of him for some ordinary thing or some typical type of situation. Um, I'm referring instead to a time when you cried out to him with a sense of need uh, so great that you felt no hope from any ward or anywhere else that if if, if he didn't help you you couldn't be helped that kind of need I, I'm referring to a time when you cried out with such a sense of urgency that you couldn't stop crying out to him no matter what the circumstances you, your desperation wasn't just leading you to call out once but to keep calling out Have you ever had a time like that in your life, or are you having one now? Um, Some examples, perhaps from my own life, would include when I was young, and I cried out to God repeatedly over over a course of years as I was growing up for for help, um, for all kinds of reasons. And he he finally brought me to a true understanding of salvation by grace through faith alone, and he saved me from my sins, and that was the beginning of... of, uh, helping in all kinds of other ways as well. Then after I was saved at at 20 years old, so there was a lot of crying out for a lot of years there. (laughs) Uh, I I, I initially went through several years of crying out to God for deliverance from a, a deep depression that had really always plagued me growing up, but it had gotten even worse for those few years of my walk with Christ. Those were certainly the worst years of depression I've ever known. It was under great spiritual attack, I assume, in those days. And of course, when Kim was diagnosed with cancer, ovarian cancer, and and at first things looked really, really bad, and that there was little hope that she would survive, um, I repeatedly cried out to God asking him to spare her life, and I'm so grateful that he did. And it turned out that the cancer was caught early when the oncologist thought it was late, very late, and I won't get into all the details of that, but talk about breathing a sigh of relief. What an answer to prayer. And more recently, there have been many health issues and other sorts of trials in this congregation about which I've cried out to God, as I'm sure many of you have done as well. I I don't think there's anyone, any family in our church that hasn't had some sort of crisis, uh, a death in the family. I think most every family or some kind of illness or Financial problem, or been a lot of trials. And there's probably been more trials in the families in in this church in the past year or two than maybe the previous ten years combined. It's been a interesting couple of years for all of us. But as a pastor, of course, I'm excited to see everyone trusting the Lord and loving each other through these times. Uh, That means that the Holy Spirit is at work here in a really powerful way. uh, Of course, God keeps his promises and his word accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it. It does not return to him void. And so as the elders have sought to teach the word faithfully, we certainly tried to do that. We see the results in the Christians who love each other and love the Lord. In fact, they love each other because they love the Lord. Maybe you're one of those people, though, that's been crying out to God recently. And of course... Not all times are as serious as that, maybe uh, physically. Um, there have also been many times in my life, and I'm sure in your, your own, where you've struggled with some sin or sorrow that has reminded you of how deeply you need God's grace every day. And at such times, of course, you and I would feel anew, this same sense of desperation. Uh, I'm still battling these sins, Lord. I... I I have no hope but in you. And so we continually cry out to him for deliverance. And so I go through all these kinds of examples to, to just ask you do, you, do you recall such a feeling in your life or are you going through one now, a time like that where you're crying out to God? And there might be certain things in your life that even look hopeless to you. And all you can do is cry out to God. And so that's what you do. Because that's what God's children do when they're suffering. They cry out to God. Well, If if you can recall such a feeling or if you are in touch with such a feeling now, then I think you also have a hint of the desperation of Bartimaeus, about whom we're reading today. Just maybe a hint of how desperate this guy may have felt. How hopeless his situation was but for Jesus. How the if there was no hope at all for him but Jesus and how he came to realize that, we don't know, but he did come to realize that. And he did the only thing he could do in his desperation. Even though people tried to stop him, he cried out to Jesus. And so I would encourage you, if you're having a similar type of time in your life, uh, to pay close attention to today's teaching, because in it, I think you may hear Jesus respond to you just as he responded to Bartimaeus. Let's begin our closer examination of the text, now beginning in verses 46 and 47. I'll read those again. Now they came to Jericho... As he, our Lord Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude. So he's surrounded by a huge crowd. We know that happened fairly frequently with Jesus. Um, There was this man here that says, Blind Bartimaeus, um, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road. When he refers to him as Blind Bartimaeus, you almost get the uh, idea that that's kind of how he was known. (laughs) Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, he sat by the road begging and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there are, are a couple of things that we need to pause to consider about, about the situation here. First, we can see that Bartimaeus cried out in great need. He was both blind and poor, which is why he was sitting in a public place where he could beg in order to survive. He was as they were coming out of the city of Jericho, he sat in a place by the road where people came and went. There was a lot of foot traffic, right? Uh, obviously with the hopes, it says he was begging with the hopes of surviving to get enough money to probably eat that day. This is what was the common lot of a beggar such as himself. So his need was, was great He was just the kind of person Jesus had in mind when he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy in that sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Blind Bartimaeus was that kind of person who recognized his need. Jesus came to help those who recognized their need, as Bartimaeus did. So if if you're recognizing a need in your life, that only Jesus can meet, then, well, uh, you're in Bartimaeus' situation and you're just the kind of person uh, that Jesus wants to hear from, as we'll see. Secondly, Bartimaeus didn't just cry out in great need. He cried out in faith. Although physically blind, he was not spiritually, spiritually blind because notice how he referred to Jesus. He used a messianic title, Son of David, and then we, we've we already seen it in our reading the text. He called him my master. There's something going on here. He's recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah and as such ought to be his master. Bartimaeus gets that. Uh, he he demonstrates an awareness of Jesus' true identity. Now, no doubt he had already heard much about Jesus' teaching and his healing ministry, and despite the fact that he was physically blind, he he clearly reached the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah and therefore ought to be his master. Uh, the IVP Bible background commentary describes the situation Bart, Bartimaeus would have been in. I suppose we could call him Bart for short, him being a fellow believer and all, but, uh, but I'll stick with Bartimaeus. Uh, this situation points up all the more what a good hearer of the word he must have been. Listen to this description of someone in his situation in the first century except for what they had learned from listening to others recite, blind people in that time were illiterate in the law. Braille had not yet been invented, so they could not read. Thus, they were not respected as religious persons, although they were protected under the law of Moses. So whatever he knew of Jesus, he had to have heard it from someone Whatever he knew about Messianic prophecies, he had to have heard being read to him. And so Bartimaeus must have paid special attention to the teaching he'd been hearing from the scribes in the synagogue that he attended, wherever that might have been. These scribes would often have referred to the Messiah as the son of David as a Messianic title. And I'll give you a good example from later in the Gospel of Mark that this is the case. And it's later in Mark chapter 12 a couple of chapters over. Uh, In verses 35 through 37, we're told, then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? See, it was typical of the scribes to refer to the Christ as the son of David. It was a common messianic title that they used. And then Jesus, of course, goes on to say, for David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly, uh, partly because he was putting a conundrum to the scribes who thought they were better than everyone else and smarter And <laughs> any time. Uh, Jesus showed them up that people liked it, apparently. But when Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus and called him son of David, Right? There was a common understanding of what that meant. And both he and Jesus knew exactly what he meant. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and that he had come. It wouldn't be surprising then if Bartimaeus also knew about another Messianic prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 35.5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf shall be unstopped. Maybe, maybe he recalled Messianic prophecies like that with the hopes that his blindness would be healed. Of course, our Lord Jesus came primarily to heal spiritual blindness and deafness. He didn't heal every blind person of their physical blindness or every deaf person of their physical deafness. But he also healed many such people. In fact, he performed such physical healing in part to demonstrate that he had the power to bring about the spiritual healing and renewal. Spiritual sight, spiritual hearing. At any rate, it is not necessary to assume that Bartimaeus had a complete understanding of what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah. We can be sure that he didn't. I mean, even his own disciples didn't at this point. But we can see that he at least understood enough to cry out to Jesus as the Messiah and to believe that as the Messiah, Jesus could help him. He knew that. So in other words, he acted in faith on the knowledge that he had. I've heard about this Jesus. I've heard a lot about him. I know something about the Old Testament prophecies. He's got to be the son of David. He's got to be the Messiah. He can help me. He knew that much. But although he cried out in such faith, there were many there who didn't appreciate his crying out to Jesus, as we read about in the next verse of verse 48. Pardon me. Then they warned him, or rather than, then many, it says many, warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. There was nothing wrong with his hearing, but he didn't listen to these people, <laughs> right? Now, here we're going to focus our attention first on the warning issued to Bartimaeus and then on his response to it. First, uh, as I've noted in my reading of the passage, there were many who apparently viewed Bartimaeus as a nuisance rather than as someone deserving of the Lord's time and attention. This poor blind beggar is the kind of person that was a, you know, cast aside in that culture. In fact, the word translated in the New King James Version for warned, uh, it's a pretty strong term. It may be translated as rebuked, as in the ESV, or as scolded. The Net Bible takes it that way. The NASB has sternly told. Um, the, the meaning of the word indicates that these many people weren't speaking kindly to this guy when they were warning him. They were scolding him. They were rebuking him. You could imagine the kinds of things that people today, who do you think you are pestering this great man? You know, uh, We don't know the kinds of things that they would have said then, but they were trying to get him to shut up. They were sternly rebuking him, telling him to be quiet, we're told. So that might have been discouraging, but not to this guy. Before we move on uh, to his response, I, I just uh, wonder what is our attitude toward those in our society that are seen as castaways? Do we do we see them as a nuisance, an unwanted drain on our time, our energy, our money, um, or do we have compassion on those who are down and out? Are we willing to take time with people like that, especially with those who recognize their need and desire? the Lord's help, as Bartimaeus did. Now, there's a lot of fraudsters out there that come to churches uh, that because they think churches are a soft touch and they'll tell you lies to get money from you and things like that. And uh, I'm not saying that we should automatically assume everyone we come across is sincere. But when a Bartimaeus comes our way, we ought to make time for that kind of person. We ought not assume that those are the kinds of people that aren't deserving of our time. Those are just the kinds of people that Jesus loves to reach out to. Anyway, we've seen the warning they gave to him. And secondly, we see that Bartimaeus was not put off by those who tried to stop him from crying out to Jesus for mercy. Because that's what he was crying out for. That's what he kept crying out for. Uh, Rather than shut up, he just cried out all the more. It says, son of David, have mercy on me. You can see such a strong contrast between what he's expecting from the Messiah, Jesus, and what he's getting from the people around him. There's no mercy being shown to this guy. By anyone that day, it seems. And he doesn't really seem to want their mercy He wants the mercy of the Lord, the one person who can really help him. And of course, his persistence paid off. He didn't, he didn't quit. Now we all have, when we're crying out to the Lord, impediments sometimes, things that might cause us to doubt. Um, So what about, do you, you, do you have a persistent faith like that? It doesn't stop crying out to the Lord. Does does your faith give up? Is it so weak that you just give up quickly, easily? Maybe even get angry at God? Which is wrong, as we saw a few weeks back, ever to do. Are you going through a time of desperation such as I previously described? And have you been tempted to give up? And worry perhaps even that God isn't listening to you. If so, I would encourage you Don't give up. Keep crying out to God. Because as we'll see, God desires such persistence from us. Bartimaeus certainly didn't give up. And he also succeeded in getting an audience with Jesus as we see in verse 49, the next verse. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer. He is calling you. Probably the best thing anybody said to him all day. They went from sternly rebuking him to now probably his disciples saying, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. Now first, notice how Mark informs us, not that Jesus slowed down a little bit here, but that he stood still. He's walking out of Jericho with his disciples in this giant crowd and over, the din and the noise of this crowd, he hears this guy crying out and he stops. Everybody else is ignoring him and telling him to shut up. Somehow Jesus hears him and stops in his tracks and stands still and says, this guy needs to come to me. This guy you all are ignoring and telling to shut up. I want him here, right? Clearly, Jesus made time for this guy. He was on his way somewhere. He was busy. He was surrounded by people who no doubt all wanted something from him. And he stopped for Bartimaeus. A second, although many in the crowd had been unfeeling and abrasive toward Bartimaeus, again, we see that Jesus acknowledged him. And he finally got some encouragement. Jesus was aware of Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus' cries have been heard. But notice, Bartimaeus had been calling out to Jesus, but now Jesus is calling Bartimaeus. Things have turned around. And we read about Bartimaeus' further response to this great news. Be of good cheer, right? He is calling you. This one that he sees as the Messiah is calling him. And so we're told in verse 50, throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, the garment that Bartimaeus cast aside would have been um, almost certainly a a cloak or an outer garment that he would wear at night and that he would have used as a blanket. Uh, During the day, however, he probably would have spread it out in front of him for collecting alms, maybe sat on it alongside the road. So, in throwing aside his garment, Bartimaeus is quite likely throwing aside a lot more than just his garment. It could be his alms that are given, pitched aside. He just is in such a hurry to get to Jesus, he leaves everything behind, basically, that, basically that he owned. Um, why, why would he do that? Well, it would have taken maybe too much time to gather it up and would have hindered his ability to make it quickly through the crowd to Jesus. If you're going through a thick crowd, you don't want to have to try to carry something with you. So he just left it behind. And he certainly wasn't going to make Jesus wait, was he? Uh, uh, Besides, I'm sure he was anxious to be healed by Jesus as well. And notice also that Jesus did not go to Bartimaeus. He could have done that, but he didn't. Rather, he made Bartimaeus come to him, a blind man, in a big crowd. Perhaps a few of the disciples assisted him in making his way to Jesus. We we don't know. His faith had already overcome the attempts of many, we're told, in the crowd who tried to stop him from crying out to Jesus. And now he would have to have the faith to go through that same crowd to get to Jesus. Jesus this big crowd think about if you're a blind person trying to make your way to one person in a big crowd i hope some of the disciples helped him (laughs) but he wasn't daunted by this i think i might have been a little scared but he wasn't apparently afraid and perhaps jesus is calling to some here today to follow him in some new direction or Perhaps there are those here who have yet to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you've, you've heard him calling to you through the word. You've been here repeatedly, and you've heard the gospel, in which Jesus has called on you to trust in him for salvation. Are you, are you too blind to see? Are you too deaf to hear that call? Or will you respond to him today the way Bartimaeus did so many years ago? Will you leave behind whatever things might be a hindrance to your coming? Or if you're a believer, are there things that are hindering you from coming to Christ in prayer and calling out to him? Maybe you sense a desperate need in your life, but you struggle to pray. Maybe you fear that he won't hear you. Your faith is weak. Remember what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and there he has the Old Testament saints in the previous chapter of Hebrews 11 in mind. But I think we could throw Bartimaeus into that in our text. He's a witness to us in this text. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He reminds us that if we struggle to come to Jesus in our time of need, as the Hebrew Christians were in great need, they were being persecuted, There's sin that's holding us back. And we're forgetting that Jesus died for those sins that are holding us back. That they shouldn't be an impediment to us at all. Instead, as the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, we should remember to come to him. Earlier in Hebrews, he reminded them that We have a sympathetic high priest in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4. So we need to trust that Jesus wants to hear our petitions. Bartimaeus was encouraged that Jesus wanted to hear his petition because he called him to him. Well, Jesus has called us to him. And he wants to hear our petitions too. So this morning, if you've struggled to pray, if you've struggled to pray, to have enough faith to cry to cry out through whatever crowd is in your life right to Jesus Stop it Just stop it Call out to him He's the only one who can help And he will You give you the help you need. Jesus wants to hear our petitions. We see this in in verse 51. Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, my master, we've already spoken about that, that I may receive my sight. Notice that not only did Jesus require that Bartimaeus make his way through this crowd, but he also required that he ask him specifically for what deed of mercy, because he keeps crying out for mercy, for what deed of mercy he, he desired. For surely Jesus knew the man's blindness. He probably already knew it before he ever saw the guy. Jesus, as God had a way of knowing things other people didn't know, Remember, Nathaniel discovered that. <laughs> uh, Jesus knew all about him when he hadn't met him yet. So perhaps he already knew, but certainly even if he didn't have that kind of divine foreknowledge in this moment of that, he knew of the man's blindness as he saw him groping his way through the crowd, uh, assisted perhaps here and there by other people. Yet he still desired that Bartimaeus' faith be demonstrated not only by having persistently cried out for mercy. I mean, he cried out for a while, apparently. We don't know how long, however long it took Jesus him to see Jesus or hear that he was coming, rather, and passing by and hearing all this wrong talk about it or something. He's crying out for a little while, anyway. Not only did he make the guy do that, And not only did he make him come through the crowd, but he also made him ask him for what he wanted in front of everyone. Jesus wanted Bartimaeus to demonstrate the kind of faith about which he had previously taught when he said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened And, of course, each of the tenses there is keep on knocking, keep on asking. Don't give up. And the Lord tests our faith in such ways as well, doesn't he? Sometimes he tests our faith by requiring that we continue to cry out to him, even when things seem hopeless, even when there seem to be many impediments in our way. And sometimes he gives us little hints of hope, little encouragements that he hears us only to require us to take yet another step of faith and to keep on asking it seems to be the pattern here this passage actually reminds me of a Jesus parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18 verses 1 through 7 where we're told that Jesus uh, spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart and not always to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was a certain city where there was a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. We've got some judges like that in our country right now, don't we? Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? He's saying, even if an unjust judge will finally listen, surely God who loves you and has chosen you will listen. Surely you can keep crying out to him knowing that he wants to hear you, even though he bears along with you. Even though he makes you wait a long time. Why does he do that? Well, patience is a virtue. It's one of, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the reasons we have trials, we're told, to teach us patience and by that character. There really is nothing better for you and I than to learn to wait on the Lord. It's good for us. We don't always enjoy it at the time, though, because we're desperate. We have a need, and we want, and we want that need to be responded to now because it feels so urgent to us. But more important than having whatever that need is met at the moment is often the good that comes to us by learning to wait on God and keep trusting Him. Sometimes we have a greater need to learn to wait on Him than the need we're crying out to Him about, is what I'm saying. And He knows that. There's plenty of evidence in Scripture that that's the case, and we should know it too. And that's why we shouldn't give up. He says we should keep on asking. Remember how he began the parable to encourage us to keep praying. So we need to remember that our Lord always hears our prayers, and he will graciously grant us what we really need when the time is best. Notice they said what we really need. Sometimes it isn't to be healed of the physical thing that we have. Sometimes there's a deeper need and a more important need than that, and sometimes hanging on to that physical problem that we have is good for us. Go back and read what Paul said about his thorn in the flesh, if you want to know what I mean. In this case, it was God's desire to heal his physical need. That's what He did for Bartimaeus, as we see in the final verse, in verse fifty-two. Then Jesus said to him, "Go your way; your faith has made you well." And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, A.T. Robertson has commented concerning the Greek word translated made well here, that the word commonly means save, and that that might be the idea here. It's the Greek verb sozo. It's constantly used for God saving people from their sins in the Bible. But it can also be used in a majority a more generic way. I can say, God save me from my sins, and I can also say, I fell in the water and the guy saved me by pulling me out, right? Uh, so it can be used in different ways, but it's possible that there's a deeper meaning here than just that he was made well of his blindness. And I agree with barton uh, Robertson that that might be the case. He may intend here that he was saved from his sins. In fact, John Gill is very probably correct when he explains Jesus' statement this way, responding to the King James Version here, thy faith hath made thee well, or he says, saved thee, and which respected not only the power of Christ in restoring his sight, but his faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David, so that by Christ, the object of his faith, he was saved both in soul and body, and had his spiritual sight before he had had his bodily sight, and both from Christ. That may be the case. I I don't know for sure. But Bartimaeus' response after this would seem to indicate that it was more than just physical blindness from which he was being saved. Because we're told that immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. He became literally a follower of Jesus. Um, Now, Mark began this account by telling us how Bartimaeus sat by the road, begging. Now he ends the account by telling us that he followed Jesus on the road. With these two simple statements, Mark has described a radical change of life. For Bartimaeus was embarking, wasn't he, on a a whole new life. Indeed, that day the words of the prophet Isaiah were fulfilled in a deeply personal way in Bartimaeus' life. Here's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 42:16: I will bring the blind by a way or road. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of, of this text, it's the same word that's used here by Mark. "Hodos," the road. I will bring the blind by, the, by a road they did not know. How could he have known it? He's never seen it, right? (laughs) Uh, I will lead them in paths or on roads again in the Septuagint, Hadas again. They have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. How magnificently these words were fulfilled by our Lord Jesus in the life of Bartimaeus. Uh, Talk about a literal (laughs) fulfillment of a prophecy. Uh, right before the eyes of everyone who had eyes to see. It would be hard to miss this. Why, Why is this account here in the New Testament? Well, I would put to you, Mark just had to put it in by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because it was such a clear indication of Jesus as the Messiah. A clear fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. I'll conclude by asking all of you to think again about your, your own situation. Uh, are, you, are you feeling a bit desperate today? I've had my desperate moments in the last year. I can tell you that. Uh, many of us have. Have you come to the place though where you recognize that your ultimate need is really a spiritual one? And are you willing to persist in crying out to the Lord to have mercy on you recognizing, as Bartimaeus did, that only he can meet your need. And he'll do it in his own time. Although you and I deserve nothing from the Lord, the question for us today is, will we trust that he will graciously meet our needs if we keep calling out to him? Do we have the courage and the faith to do that? Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian believers in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. There's a tall order, right? (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Those words are true. Many in this room have experienced a peace they could not explain. I mean, after all, it surpasses all understanding. As I've said many times before, it's you have to experience it to know it. Nobody can explain it to anyone. They can just say that there's a peace, a mind blowing. We passing understanding kind of peace, a believer can know that there is a kind of peace that chases away our anxiety when we trust in the Lord. When we're anxious for nothing but in everything, call out to him. As Pastor Ben has aptly summarized Paul's teaching here in the past, we will be anxious for nothing when we pray about everything. That is such a good summary here, isn't it? Uh but today I encourage you to remember that and, and to recall the example of Bartimaeus. Whatever difficult road you may be on, however beggarly and poor you might feel, spiritually speaking, however blind you might feel to what's going on and God's purposes in your life or whatever, you know who Jesus is and you know that he can help you got to keep crying out to him. That's what you got to do. That's the only thing to do. And it's the best thing anyone could ever do. Let's pray. Holy Father, it is my hope that I've been an encouragement, not just to myself by going back over this text, but to, to other believers here today, that you love us just like you like... You loved uh, Bartimaeus. And Lord Jesus, you, you want us to call out to you. You want us to come to you. You want us to make our way through whatever crowds are in our lives and tell you what we want, tell you what our needs are. Trusting that you, our Master, will do what's best for us, you will show mercy on us. Help us, Lord to cast aside those things which hinder us from coming to you. If there are sins we're struggling with and we think you won't hear because of them, help us to remember that you died on the cross to forgive those sins that you're seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us. Even now we need not fear coming to you because we have sins. We must come to you with our sins for forgiveness knowing that you are faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Lord, restore our faith, I pray, in our difficult times. Help us to be like that persistent widow or like Bartimaeus and constantly call out to you. Do for us what you did for this man. Grant us that kind of faith in our blindness, in our poverty of spirit. We'll give you all the glory for what you do, because we love you, and we know you deserve all the glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you once again for your kind attention.